the blessing of the moment is certainly a great one indeed, that we've been blessed on this Lord's Day morning to gather and assemble as we are, and how thankful, surely, that God has so looked upon us with mercy and favor. We know that those who are not with us due to illness or sickness, we do continue to earnestly hope that their circumstances will far uh, be much better very, very soon. For the lesson this morning, I did want to at least begin by uh, making an announcement. I had failed to share this with Brother Lester, so that was certainly my fault. I received a call yesterday from uh, a person about the third Sunday singing. And, of course, as you know, that happens on the third Sunday of each month. And our month is August, of course, but Double Springs is the hosting congregation for April. But they are going to have the singing the second Sunday in April instead of the third. And so that means it's next, it's this coming Sunday, April the 10th, a week from today. And they're also going to have it at a different time. It's at 1 o'clock instead of 2. So if you're making plans, certainly keep that in mind. The singing is a week early and an hour early. So again, Double Springs next Sunday, 1 o'clock instead of 2. To our lesson today, sharing the gospel message. I thought that in light of what's about to come up for us, it was already announced a number of weeks ago, but certainly we wish to keep it on our radar and make sure it's in the forefront of our thinking. Our gospel meeting begins four weeks from today. Four weeks from today. That will be here very soon. It will be here, in fact, upon us before we know it. I would ask that we perhaps develop this lesson today in such a way that will help us be reminded of that truth and the greatness of that work and the benefit and blessing we certainly hope that it shall bring. May I begin by saying, let's, let's be praying about it. Pray for Brother Brant Stubblefield. He will be the speaker for bringing the lessons during the course of that meeting. Our Sunday services and then on Monday through Wednesday at 7 o'clock p.m. So please keep that in mind. And we're going to have some flyers that we will be distributing here in a, in a week or so that we can use to help us advertise this meeting but we want it to be a glorification of the cause of God, and that's a part of our lesson this morning, sharing the gospel message. As you do that, may I say that this opening slide is maybe one that will just be a good foundation from which we can consider some of what's going to follow. The gospel message, we sang a song about that a minute ago, but the gospel message is a treasure of such great worth. You recall the Lord taught a parable in Matthew 13 in which the kingdom of heaven was likened to a treasure hid in a field, which when a man found it, he sold all that he had to obtain that treasure. Now the kingdom of heaven was likened unto that, and doesn't that remind us of the gospel and how valuable it is? It's worth more than anything else, for it is the message that can save your soul and mine. And it has within it the promise of that. No wonder in that light, sharing the gospel message is certainly something that God would invite us to do and urge us to do. How do we go about doing that and what might be some features that can move us in that direction? This opening slide is a slide of perspective. Each of us would be quick to say that the God that we serve is all-powerful. He is almighty. He can do anything that's consistent with His will. And yet, have you ever thought about the following truth? When it comes to the gospel, He could miraculously put the knowledge of this into everybody's head. But He didn't do it that way. He chose not to do it that way. 
He chose rather that those who were His servants, Christians, namely you and me, that we are the ones who have been invited to be fellow laborers with Him. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, And therefore He wants us to share the message of the truth. He wants us to be the laborers in His kingdom. He wants us to be those who invest in regard to His vineyard. I would submit to you that's a remarkable thought. As great as He is, He could have done it Himself. But that was not the mechanism He wanted. It's not for the betterment of His kingdom in the eternal way. And so you and I have been charged in ways like this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. You and I as Christians have been charged like this. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And thus, that labor, that effort, that endeavor rests with you and me. Some of the remaining elements on that slide then would read like this. Isn't it true there are many particular avenues and means that a congregation might use in the sharing of the gospel message? We here at the Pippin Congregation, for example, we sponsor two different radio programs. One of them airs every Tuesday. The other airs every other Sunday. And yet as we invest in them, it's our goal and desire that those who hear that they will at least be motivated to give some diligent thought to what's contained from the Word of God. The name of one of those programs is the Lord's Word. And so the focus is the Word of God. The name of the other one is A Challenge to Think, in which we are challenged to think not based on society, not based on what men may think or suppose, but based on what the Bible teaches. So radio would be one avenue we here at the congregation maintain a website. All the service, the sermons and even other things are uploaded to it. So anybody with a computer anywhere in the world can access and learn about the gospel, at least in some way through the avenue of what is made available through this congregation. But may I say, that's just two possibilities. It still is true that it is difficult to go beyond the value and benefit of personal invitations. Someone that knows and trusts you and me. Someone who, by way of observation, has witnessed the way that we live, the decisions that we make, the particular behavior that we have exhibited. Quite often that can be so dramatically compelling. I might use that statement then to ask each of us the following. As we give thought to the upcoming gospel meeting, which again is but four weeks away, Let's invite people to come and be with us. Maybe a relative or a friend or an acquaintance or a neighbor. Invite them to come. Perhaps they'll need a ride. Tell them we'll make sure that they can get here. Either one of the deacons or maybe yourself, or we can certainly make that avenue available to them. But maybe that kind word of invitation will go a great deal toward helping them see the importance and the need Once these flyers are finished, share that flyer with them so they have a record of the times. And so they again know the building address so they can easily find it. This opening statement about perspective now leads us to think about several things that are motivating factors 
as to why this will be a good idea for us. The compassion for the lost. Now Jesus often spoke about that, and so too did the other particular inspired people of the New Testament. Could I invite us to follow the teaching of the Lord on this occasion? Would you be turning with me to Matthew chapter 9? And let's let the Lord do the the teaching for the next moment or two as we listen to Him speak about the nation, I'm sorry, the nature of what you and I are about to do in this gospel meeting. Matthew chapter 9. May I draw your attention in particular to verse number 35. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now we'll continue reading in just a moment, but isn't it impressive that here it says the Lord went through all these cities... And it's true that He had the capacity to heal their sickness, which you and I can't do miraculously. But did you notice what else He did? It says, He preached the gospel. So here was the Master, the great Son of God. Even He didn't miraculously force people by way of miraculous character to simply know what the gospel was. He had to preach it. And so He went and taught... He invested the labor to travel from one city to the next. And He convened people or invited the people to arrive. And it says, He taught in their synagogues. With that in mind, look at the next verse. But when He saw the multitudes. So apparently there were large throngs of people that were gathered. And when they were, you may suppose that this was great. And no doubt, in a sense, it was, but the verse reads like this. He was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So these multitudes that came together, the Lord, it says, reacted with compassion. He was moved with a sense of concern for them. Why? The text reads it like this. They fainted. Now, don't suppose that means that they were without food. Don't suppose that that means that they were, again, without the necessary accompaniment in terms of nourishment. That's not what the text says. That word that's translated fainted, as you can see on the slide, it literally means to be wearied. It literally means to be distressed. And so it was that they were scattered abroad. They needed some guidance. They needed some direction. They needed an understanding of the most important matters in life, and the Lord is the one that could share it with them. The text says they were like sheep with no shepherd. They didn't have the necessary leadership to assist them and motivate them and compel them to move in the right directions for them in life. Don't we live in a world in which we are amassed with sheep without a shepherd? People who live with no direction. They live without the basis of a foundation of an anchor in life. And they are inching closer and closer to a day of judgment that they're going to regret. You and I have the message that can help them. You and I have access to the Word that can provide the answers they need. No wonder that in a gospel meeting, Brother Brant is going to share with power and simplicity the message of truth. Oh, how they need to hear it. 
It's true. You and I need to hear it too, just to be reaffirmed in the basic truths that are so sweet to the soul. But may you and I encourage and invite and compel and help others that they may enjoy what we already have. Jesus, you see, had compassion. And let's finish this reading by noting this, verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In light of that moment in that day, Jesus insisted, Look, verse number 37, The harvest is abundant but the laborers are few. In many ways, a lot hasn't changed. (laughs) Things are pretty much still the same, aren't there? There's still just a few that are going to be saved, and the vast majority are lost. And yet the Lord said, Pray to the God of heaven that laborers will be sent to the harvest. Might you and I then pray for this meeting? Would you pray for Brother Brandt? that the lessons He prepares and the way He delivers them will be the most effective, the most efficient, that they will be precisely the most needful thing for those who are assembled in this place during that meeting. I can testify the power of prayer, and we all can. And I know that Brother Brant will appreciate our prayers on his behalf and the general behalf of that gospel meeting. You'll notice the Lord said in verse 38, Pray to the Lord in light of laborers in terms of the harvest. Now, as you and I keep that in mind, may I suggest that isn't it true on that slide that that idea finds its motivation throughout many of the passages to be found in the New Testament. The Bible would teach us to love our neighbor as ourself. And so if we don't want them to be lost we too would desire that they come to know the gospel that we cherish and that we treasure. As you and I close that slide, then one of our first motivating factors for the sharing of the gospel message will be our attribute of compassion and regard to those who are not right with God. But what about a second one? What about purpose? I chose that as a title or at least a description for many of the matters on this slide, but could I ask, what was the purpose of the Master? We are using Jesus as our prime example this morning. He had compassion on the lost, shouldn't we? The Lord's purpose, what was it? Do you recall the Master Himself would say in John six thirty eight that I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me? And two chapters earlier than that in John four thirty four. Jesus, again, a slightly different occasion, but He said, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Jesus said, The sole reason I came, that which guides and motivates and compels me with regard to that which I do, is the will of God. That's my purpose. You and I might thus, in some ways, give thought to the same. You'll note about the middle of that slide, Jesus came thus to seek and to save the lost. Do you remember with me that interesting conversation that developed between him and Zacchaeus in Luke 19? Jesus made a motivating and eternal change, it would seem, in that man's behavior and life. 
And in verse 10, he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the reason He came. That's the purpose of His mission. What about you and me today? The seeking of the lost? To assist in the salvation of the lost? If His purpose was that, should ours be any different? Sometimes you and I can easily find that the particulars of life can make sure of their demand and their place. And if we aren't careful, it may well be that our place and our motivation comes to be fully centered in those things. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This gospel meeting is a particular endeavor. Now, we understand that we assemble every Sunday, and we do so again on Sunday evenings, and we do so on Wednesday evenings, and we desire to lift high the banner of the truth of God because it's a blessing to us. And we know that others would be blessed to be here as well. But so many choose not to be. That certainly is to, to their eternal loss. There will come a moment when, of course, we will give accounting of the deeds done in the body. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Have those deeds been worthwhile and noteworthy in light of pleasing to God? We not only desire that in ourselves that would be true, but those that we love, and those that are our neighbors, and those that are around us. This gospel meeting is a time when we have a particular effort. We want thus, as we approach that time, to make sure that our purpose, in light of our example to them, is as it should be. It still goes without saying that that which will often have the greatest impact upon others Perhaps encouraging them to come will be, how does that Christian who does attend there, how does he live? How does she live? How do they talk? What kind of things do they exhibit in their life? Where are they at on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock? Where are they at on Sunday night at 5.30? If they aren't committed to it, what reason should I think that it would be of any benefit to me? May the example that you and I set be one that would insist in them a conviction to truth. Nothing is more important than your soul and mine and its obedience to truth. If they see that in us, they might begin to wonder, is there something about this that would be worthwhile? They don't seem to act like other religious people I know. As you and I lead up to this moment of the gospel meeting, not just then, of course, but all the time may our life be one described in the words of 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. A sixfold set of examples that you and I are urged to be. May we live like that all the time, but especially in these moments as we strive to make our meeting the success that God would wish it to be. What else might we learn from Jesus about, again, sharing the gospel message? I've entitled this with the love of the Father. You and I might well observe in texts like John 15, verse number 9, Jesus spoke with such power and passion about His love for the Father and how that, that moved and motivated Him in light of, the kind of life and actions that He, in fact, did. Do you and I love God? Now, that's a very personal question. 
you and I each must answer it. If I do love God, then the things of my life should reflect that love. It should, in fact, be such that that love is the factor behind much of what I choose to say and do and the things that I, that I and choose to be involved in. Jesus was driven because of that love to share the truth with people. John 17, verse 26. He said that that love for God is what compelled Him to this. You and I thus also are those who have the wording that we claim to love God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. In the words of Mark 12, verse 30, Because of that love, we too thus must keep His commandments. Jesus on many occasions said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. But in light of this upcoming meeting, don't you find it fascinating that in John 16, 27, there's a reciprocal character to this. God's love for us and our love for Him and our love for others. So it leads us to ask, in our love for God, what are we going to do in light of this upcoming meeting? Invite, encourage, are you and I making plans to be here? May I encourage each of us, set aside right now, every night at 7 o'clock, Monday through Wednesday, May 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, to be here. If we've already made the arrangements and plans for that, then it will occupy a place in which we will be exhibiting an example of devotion to the things of God. And thus, others will be able to see in us a faithfulness with regard to commitment to the things the Bible would teach. Isn't it fascinating then to think that as the Lord spoke about the love for the Father, that too is a motivating factor for us. In the fourth place, what about this attribute? I chose the word terror because that's what the Apostle Paul selected. Now as we build up to that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, let's again refer to what the Master taught and how he made these statements. Jesus, you and I well know, often spoke about things that were of loving character and matters connected to the rightness that goes with God's great mercy for the human family. But we also know that Jesus spoke about terror. He spoke about hell. Isn't it true that Jesus came to save sinners? He came that you and I might go to heaven, but He also came that we might miss hell. You see, hell was originally designed, you see, for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. But it is a sad truth that the disobedient will be there too. Though faithless will be there too. Those who haven't followed the teaching of the Lord will be there as well. We learn that in Revelation 19 and 20. But at least at this point, as you and I think about the attribute of terror, isn't it Jesus who would speak in words like this? There's a place where the worm dieth not. There's a place where the fire is never quenched. And that place is real. People are going to end up there. Souls will end up being there. And you and I have the singular message that can keep that from happening. Oh, how we desire then for the meeting to be a success, 
that it would be something in which there will be responses in ways that are positive and good. But at the very least, you and I know the reality of that terror is this. Men can't change the truth that it exists. And so it is. Look at this text in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Now let me start in verse 10. Paul, in such dramatic character as he admonished the Corinthians, he told them, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul, why do you go about proclaiming and preaching the way you do? Because I know the terror of the Lord. And I know that these souls are marching one by one into eternity. On average, two people die every second worldwide. Two people die every second. That means every minute, 120 people are headed into eternity. How many are ready? How many are prepared? It would appear by observation the vast majority are not. Now, you and I in this community can make appreciation of the fact we can have this gospel meeting and we, of course, can pray about it. And may we do it. And we can invite others to come and we hope that they'll do so. We can rest assured... Brother Brant will do that which he has been charged to do. May we do that which we should in the insistence of this successful gospel meeting. One more thing on that slide would be this. There are so many verses in the Word of God that remind us, such as Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, the sadness of that final day when the Lord will say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. You see, the faithfulness of that kind of an expression will be something from which there is no return. When the Lord says, I never knew you on that occasion and at that day, it's final. Oh, how we need to be involved in doing that which we can in order to ensure a successfulness in concerning our meeting. This terror of the Lord brings us to one final observation. The fifth and final point, you see, about motivating us and sharing the gospel message Let's end it on this happy note. As real as the thought of terror is, would you consider with me joy? No, the Bible not only provides a motivation concerning the attribute of the terror, but doesn't it do so as we think about Jesus Himself and the joy that in fact was His? Let's turn to Hebrews 12, and let's only note the first couple of verses of that chapter. But in that passage we read, Wherefore, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. In the midst of that passage that reminds us of the cloud of witnesses of the previous chapter, and the reality of their faithfulness in the midst of sometimes such dramatic circumstances, we find this admonition, First, you lay aside every weight, anything that would restrict and hold you back from serving the God of heaven. 
you lay aside every weight and the sin which easily besets, and you run with patience. Perseverance, consistency, never giving up, because you and I have this, one who has already finished the race. Verse 2, you look to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of your faith indeed. But he was motivated in joy to complete that task. Oh, it's true he endured the cross, the anguishing pain and excruciation that went with it. But the reason he did it in part was the joy that now can be yours. Because you and I can have sins forgiven. We can live rightly as we should. And we can hold within us the reality of the genuine hope of eternal glory in heaven. We want others to know that same hope and glory. Isn't that a joyful reason to share the gospel message? Paul felt that joy in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. In light of the church at Thessalonica, he spoke about the joy awaiting the day of judgment when he and they would be able to appreciate the grand reward coming to the obedient. It might well be that the Bible and its assurance of the rest that comes for the faithful and for the obedient. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. To borrow the wording of Revelation 7, verse 14. We have looked at this point at least at five perspectives and motivations that might encourage us in our sharing of the gospel message. As we summarize some of them, we might do so like this. We are motivated because of compassion for the lost, just like Jesus was. We're motivated because of our purpose in life, just like the Lord's purpose. We're motivated because of our love for the Father, which Jesus Himself exhibited. We're also motivated because of our knowledge of the terror of the Lord, just like Jesus was. And finally, we're motivated just like He was again in light of joy. For all those reasons, we too can look forward to any opportunity, every assembly of the church. But that surely would include our upcoming gospel meeting. May you and I employ our talents and our capacities in such a way that, at least in regard to us, we will be the fellow laborers with God. Just as Paul could say, I planted, but Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. And we will look forward to the great increase, not due only to our efforts, but surely due to the working of God. But aren't we thrilled to be laborers with Him? This very morning, as we draw this lesson to its conclusion, I trust that we've each at least been reminded about some of the teachings of the Word of God that may set before us efforts and mindsets and perspectives that will be of blessing and benefit for the work of the church in general and certainly for the upcoming meeting. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing a hymn of encouragement. If there's something in your life that has at this point placed a wedge between you and God, that is to say, you though once a faithful Christian are not, now. Don't you want to come back to your first love? Don't you want to know the fidelity and the allegiance and the loyalty that once was yours and that led to a confidence in life that was simply irreplaceable? We want you to know that the Word of God is urging, pleading with you to come back. Revelation 2 verses 1 to 5 will speak about that in great detail. 
But today we want you to know that you are loved, not only by God, but by us. And we want to assist and help in whatever way we can. If we can pray for you, study with you, or offer some other kinds of encouragement, we'd like to do it. Please let us know how we can. If you would like to make a public response in a way today, if you will acknowledge sin, make repentance of it, we'd be delighted to pray for you. Maybe you've never become a Christian. At this point in life, you have rested and appreciated God's blessings in so many ways, but to this point, you've never thanked Him by living for Him. We want you to know today, you could become a Christian. Nobody on earth has the power to do it, but Jesus Christ does. If you will obey what He says, believe in Him, repent of your sins, confess His name, and then upon your faithful immersion in water, call that baptism, He will add you to the church. Every sin you've ever forgiven will be forgiven. Every one you've ever committed no longer that to which you'll have to give answer by way of guilt. May I say, what a clean slate. What a way to start afresh. What better way to do that and what better time than today. While together we stand and while we sing.